Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Kevin, the CTO at Spot, and they discuss how Spot saves their clients 80 to 90% on their cloud compute bills, the concept of data gravity and how to conquer it, and how to design career paths that include growth without necessarily moving into management. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I was a young kid um, in uh, middle school going into high school, and we started our first company, local company, uh, basically uh, hosting web pages for, I mean, this is going back to the 90s. <laughs> right. So we're talking, you know, early, early stages like GeoCities didn't exist yet. Um, and uh, we were building, you know, some of the first web pages that companies ever even had uh, just to get them on the web because they heard the web was cool. Uh, back when you didn't have to have your website up 24 hours either. It was like, you know, old TV days where like it didn't matter if you had 24 by 7 support on your website. It was just there, you know, as like a vanity thing. Um, so we started with that and we were building websites all over the DC area and, uh, brought that through college. And I actually exited that very, very small thing, uh, in college, selling it to another local area company. So I could kind of get like the college experience, but I only did the quote unquote college experience for about a year until I started working at a company called USI, which was another startup in the DC area. And, uh, I started there basically my sophomore year. And since then, um, that they were in the application. And they were called an ASP, Application Service Providing is what we called it before it was SaaS. Uh, and um, uh, before the first uh, tech bubble burst. And uh, I did that for a while. And then the tech bubble burst. And then we kind of meandered around for a while in the industry until everything came back. But uh, yeah, I got started very early back when, you know, you serve, you know, we built the data centers, racked everything, uh, seen the journey from there to cloud, you know, along the way, and then building applications as a as a first model for consumption, you know, very early on in the earliest days, because back then you used to sell servers. And you just used to sell racks. So even if you sold someone an application, you would sell them a rack. The rack came with a specific amount of servers. The application would get sold on those servers. You would cable it up. That was the delivery. And so USI was one of the first companies who just sold Oracle or just sold PeopleSoft or just sold Ariba. And then behind the scenes, it didn't matter. Like we had a data center, um, data center without cages, as we like to say. And it was just a sea of compute that we would sell the applications on top of. So back in the late 90s and early 2000s, that was a novel idea. Now it's uh, now it's par for the course, as they say. Yeah, I was looking at what Spot was doing. Obviously, you know, being an engineer for all my life and, you know, looking at what you guys are doing is pretty fascinating. How do you describe it to people? Spot, uh, Spot, we make, um, you know, the cloud as optimized and efficient as possible for you. We like to say that cloud's complicated. Uh, but we'll take care of that for you. Deploy applications, and then we'll take care of all the you know knobs and bells and whistles and everything that the cloud provides, and we'll just automate that for you at the end of the day. Uh, what we want to do is allow engineers and developers to you know build and package their application, deploy it to the cloud, and then the clouds are so vast with so many different options, so many different purchasing models, so many different ways to run that application that. You don't really need to be concerned about that. You know, the whole serverless mindset, as they like to say, it's kind of an overloaded term now, but we still like to use it because 
that's what we really want at the end of the day. We don't want people to worry about what type of VMs they're using or what type of servers they're using, quote unquote, at the end of the day. Deploy your application. We'll figure out the most efficient way for it to run, whether that's in a container or whether it's on a VM, uh, whether we have to manage the commitments with the cloud provider for you, whether we need to figure out how to launch the most next efficient VM for you. We want to take the whole infrastructure out from you ever thinking about it again and just allow you to deploy applications and know you're getting the best possible cost um, and the best possible utilization out of your resources. So you do more than what I picked up on. Because I want me to share you what I picked up on from the home. Sure, tour. go for it. You have a killer graphic. It's like a slider <laughs> where I can slide over usage. You know what I'm talking about? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so it was basically in, in my explanation of it, it was showing that like, you know, as resources scale, you just plug in these new, you know, on-demand instances. And yep. sometimes you'll put in an instance and you're not using all of it and you guys like shave it perfectly. So you're only using like exactly what you need. And that's dollar savings. That's what I got from it. Yeah, that's that's where the company started. So I would say years ago, I mean that and that's still a big sell, right? Like when you talk marketing and getting out in front of and getting out in front of people and selling them on the product, it's still very much about cost and showing you how you can use spot instances instead of on-demand instances or RIs instead of on-demand. Basically, we don't want our customers ever to pay on-demand. Uh, there's no reason to. So shape that instance and get the cost model down. Um, and customers come to us. It's a great banner to put up at a conference, You know how much you can save. Uh, but our customers stay with us because of the automation and the efficiency that our platform gives just to their everyday running applications. So it's kind of a weird setup and uh, where you know people come to us to save money, but they stay with us uh, for the automation and the speed that their DevOps teams can run at just by using the platform. Uh, so um, there's a whole story that the platform uses, like with our Ocean product. Ocean not only does price efficiency, but it allows your engineers just to deploy containers, like take containers, deploy them to the cloud, let Ocean figure out how to take those containers, what type of VMs they need, what type of uh, special needs they need based on their labels. And it just takes the whole inventory of the cloud and then allows that to become your infrastructure without your DevOps team worrying about what VM they need or you know how to attach it to storage or anything else. Ocean takes care of that for you just by looking at what the scheduler needs in Kubernetes and then going out and automating the work after that. So we've definitely started at price and you're definitely right. That's that's one of the main marketing messages, but we've definitely graduated from that in other areas where we're helping our customers not only save money, but also move fast. That's exciting. I saw you have a bunch of products, you like Cloud Analyzer, Ocean, Eco, <laughs> Elastic Group. What's, El what's Elastic Group? Is that the one we were first talking about? That is, that's the, that's, that's where it all began is Elastic Group. And uh, Elastic Group is how we got co customers comfortable with running production grade applications on top of spot markets. And the difficulty there is that cloud providers have three different ways normally that they'll charge you. So there's, there's list price that's on demand. Uh, that's, you know, they just list on their website. It's a dollar an hour. You go to them, you pay a dollar an hour, you get a four nine SLA. Uh, when you realize you're running that instance all the time, cloud providers offer what they call a reserve capacity discount. So you can buy like a reserved instance. That means um, you're going to guarantee that you'll run that instance 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So you get to pay less for it. Uh, now, whether that instance is running or not, you still got to pay for it, but you pay 40%, 50% off list. But then the real savings where you pay 10 cents on the dollar is spot. 
And the spot market is great because the cloud providers sell this extra capacity that's not being used for on-demand at spot prices. So when on-demand is not being used, they sell it on a market and that price fluctuates. Um, and if you understand how those markets work and you understand where the capacity is coming from, you can understand how to bring in instances at the right time to always keep an application highly available. And that's what we do. We, you know, we can look at all of these different spot markets and then keep an application running on top of the spot markets as they change and keep that cost savings at that 80 to 90% level for you and keep the SLAs, SLOs of your application alive. So that's really where the magic started. And that's what Elastic Group does. It keeps a pool of VMs running on on-demand RI and spot very, very heavily uh, weighted towards spot. And it keeps that whole cluster running at the most efficient way possible for that application to deliver uh, what it needs to do. I just learned about spot markets. I did not understand what they were, how they worked. Thank you. <laughs> what's, what, what's like the name? Is it like, what's a spot? Is there a name of a spot market? I, I just want to look up more later. Yeah. So on AWS, it's called spot instances. And then on uh, Azure, they're called spot VMs. Now uh, they actually just released uh, Azure kind of revamped their whole spot infrastructure and they're calling it spot VMs. And then Google, actually, we were just a launch partner with them. I think it was this week. My brain's going on me a little bit. It was either yeah, the end of last week or the beginning of this week. Uh, we just announced a partnership with them on launching spot VMs over on Google side. So on Google, it used to be called prevent pre preemptible VMs, which only lasted 24 hours. But now spot VMs on top of Google can last any amount of time based on the capacity of the market. Uh, so what you have is you have this spot construct on all three major cloud providers. And uh, it works slightly different on them. But now nowadays, they work more similar than they are different. Oh, I thought, all right. So it's not a third party exchange that like coordinates right. all the excess from all the different providers and you bid over there. It's just the spot instance inside of AWS. Right. Yeah. It's a spot oh, okay. inside AWS. It's a spot VM inside Azure. And the, the cloud providers control that market. But the thing is, if you don't have visibility into that market or you're not spread across thousands of customers, then you don't see what those markets are doing. You don't see when a capacity pool is getting full. You don't see when you can or can't launch into certain areas. And that's what our platform does is we can get in front of get in front of the markets. We know when markets are getting full or when they're most likely used. And then we can rotate the compute uh, within your Elastic Group uh, to compensate for that. Can you rotate between providers? Uh, we don't rotate between providers today. Uh, we keep usually keep customers in the cloud that they are. Uh, I would say 9.9 .9 times out of 10, uh, our customers aren't running the same application in different clouds. Uh, they will use multi-cloud, but usually it's an application is being used in a specific cloud for a specific reason, usually due to data gravity. But yeah, we don't have a ton of use cases for rotating between the clouds today, but I'm always, always listening for someone to come to me with a great use case for it. Yes, yes. All right. So spot is just referencing. It's like when you're when you're making these changes between like on demand and spot, you're doing that like within Amazon. Yes, like like if if they're an Amazon user, they have Amazon services, you're helping that transition between these on demand instances and spot instances occur in an automated fashion within right. their account. Yep, absolutely. Or even right. spot to spot. Most of the time it's spot to spot. But yes, if they need to go back to RI or on demand, we do that also. Yeah. Were you early in this? Were you one of the first people doing it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, talking five. Um, I wasn't uh, one of the founders of Spot. I came in a little later, but uh, absolutely the 
uh, when Spot was founded, they were one of the only people in the industry uh, doing what they do today. Now, obviously, the Spot market existed in AWS when they started. That was the first Spot market, but they were a very early adopter of it and uh, one of the first companies uh, to start doing this kind of automation and this kind of uh, scaling with Spot instances. How did you meet the founders? Uh, it's a good question. So uh, I worked for a company called SunGuard Availability Services for a while, and I worked for the CTO there. Uh, one of my jobs was to research, um, you know, go out and find who are the next biggest uh, and best, or maybe not biggest, but the best next generation of companies and what could help uh, SunGuard AS get into the cloud at that point in time. Uh, so I just met a lot of people in a lot of different places, whether it was pertinent to what SunGuard was doing or not. And it was during that that job tenure that I ran into Amiram at, um, or actually it was a webinar. I first met them because I was, uh, I knew some people at Rancher and I joined one of the Rancher webinars. Um, and if you don't know Rancher, they're, uh, their Kubernetes company just got acquired. Um, I believe it was last year too. And, uh, they were a co-sponsor on that webinar. And when they did their pitch, I was like, this is brilliant. Uh, we had actually been thinking of something similar on our architecture team of using spot instances for this purpose. And we were like, great, we don't have to build it. We can buy it. Awesome. Because we don't have the resources to build it. So I got in a conversation with them and we started using them uh, there. And then over the course of the next year and a half or so, uh, we eventually decided that my next step should be to jump over to the startup world and get out of the enterprise world. And, and here I am at four, four and a half years later, uh, still at spot. It's not, it's not really startup anymore. It's getting to scale, right? Yeah. I mean, well, we were acquired by NetApp last year. So, you know, we're kind of in that weird, do you still consider it like we're, we still consider us a, a startup within the NetApp umbrella. NetApp is very good. They let us execute on our roadmap and, and press forward. And it really doesn't feel like a, like a different company today than it did uh, a year and a half ago. So that's what's great is we still visualize ourselves as a startup even even after uh being acquired and we're still growing like a startup like our goal is to 2x every year and you know our goal for this year is to 2x over last year and we did 2x over the past year before that so we're still trying to grow like a startup we're still trying to push the product and engineering and sales teams and everything like we do uh like we did before acquisition so i would still say we're we still very much feel like we're in the startup phase but yeah, I mean, we 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 are at the uh, at the larger entity. I would say, uh, you know, strictly company speaking, right? We are under NetApp today. Does NetApp have customers that you would want to sell to? Was it like that? Was that a useful part of the uh, acquisition? Yeah, I'd say absolutely. NetApp, uh, like every other company, is seeing the shift to the cloud, and whether customers are doing hundred percent shifts or even fifty percent shifts to the cloud, cloud is. Uh, becoming, it's, it's so funny in the cloud space, we feel like cloud is so big, but in the total IT space, it's still actually kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call it small because it's a big industry, but it's compared to on-prem spend, it's still pretty small compared to the total spend of like all data centers and all IT spend that happens in the industry. So you have this big push of companies that didn't necessarily adopt cloud early or are moving to the cloud now or have teams that are moving. And so NetApp realized that and NetApp realizes all of their customers are moving to the cloud and we can help. Um, you know, we talked about Elastic Group, but we have the other products too, Ocean and Eco. Eco specifically is a product that can help anybody moving to the cloud. 
It takes no engineering effort. It's all about managing those reserved instances that I talked about before, knowing when to buy and convert reserved instances from a cloud provider. Um, that can be a complicated mess for a financial team and an engineering team to decipher between one another. Eco automatically just kind of takes that off of your hands. And especially for customers that are in traditionally in data center and their first step is just to get to the cloud, we can meet them with eco. And then we can, when you're ready to become more cloud native or ready to become more scaling, we can introduce the last group we can introduce Ocean. And Ocean is that containers offering that I talked about uh, in the beginning, which is built on top of Elastic Group, which just allows you to focus on containers instead of focusing on the compute. So between those three products, we have like a whole journey that we can sell uh, to the NetApp customer base. Um, and there are more and more cloud native people coming to NetApp too. So it's not only the customers that, you know, they've had uh, traditionally for, you know, they've been around for what, 30 years or more now. It's not only those customers that are making the migration, but it's also the more cloud native people who are starting to use um, NetApp storage, which is natively integrated into the three cloud providers. So you can go to Google and you can provision NetApp storage directly through Google APIs. You can go to Azure and directly provision NetApp storage directly through Azure APIs. You can go to AWS and provision NetApp storage directly through cloud native APIs through AWS. They're integrated into the cloud providers. And now we're adding compute and, 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 and financial uh, efficiency on top of that. So now we have storage and compute that we can add together in all three cloud providers. You guys are growing. That's a lot. So is, is what's happening is most of your new revenue from existing customers as you roll out these new products? Yeah. I mean, uh, as you grow, there's a little bit of expansion and then there's a little bit of new logos. Now we're always pushing for new logos. Uh, one of the great things about our platform is that customers grow with us. So we don't necessarily look to land like these huge deals right off the bat. We'll land any deal. And that's because we know customers love the platform and they'll grow. A lot of our revenue comes from expansion because it's a journey. It's not, we don't just make a sale and then like, okay, great. You got a year deal and, and we move on. We're, uh, we're a consumption-based product. You need to use our product. Uh, we're success-based pricing. We charge based on the amount of savings we provide over on demand. So our job is to every single day savings to because if we're not delivering savings to you, we don't make any money. Um, and so our job is to produce that. And then as customers get comfortable with the platform, they scale more. Our cohorts are, are very good. Uh, all of our cohorts from day one all grow uh, over the span of, uh, you know, one to three years uh, before customers even start getting, you know, what we would consider like maxed out on the platform. So uh, we have, um, we put a lot of time into make sure customers are happy post-sale and we get a lot of our revenue through that expansion. Um, that's where we make most of our relationships. But of course, to get customers to expand, you need customers coming in the front end. So we, uh, my, my sales team is listening. I, I love new logos also. Don't get me wrong, but we love making those <laughs> more than new logos. We love making those new logos happy and expanding on the platform. So it's kind of a long answer, but like, yes, a lot of our money comes from expansion, but that's because of how the platform works. You start small and then you get bigger. Now we got to talk about the dog. What's the dog's name? Yeah. Uh, so the dog is Teddy. And he's right now protecting us from the evils of somebody walking their dog yes. uh, across the street. So I apologize for that. <laughs> no worries. He should. They shouldn't be walking so close to your house, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, I have a dog named Teddy as well. 
It's like a little. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, it's well. I mean, it's nice. my wife's my wife's dog, but it's a little like Pomeranian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Teddy's a pointer. He's like uh, he's about seventy five. We have an older dog too, but he's not he's not barking because he's passed out somewhere. He's, yeah. He's he's oh no he's sixteen years old now, so he just kind of roams around the house and does whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. Te- <laughs> I call Teddy. Teddy's like the purse type dog, you know, like small little fluffy right. thing. But then we have Bentley, who's a Bernice Mountain dog, and he's like oh. he's a big he's a big dog. So I like yeah, him a that's lot. A big dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's exciting. So, what's the culture? Tell me what the culture like at Spot. Um, you know, we're you know, like most tech startups, like we move fast. Um, we like to work on exciting things, and we like to deliver. You know, customer obsessed is like the biggest culture value that we push. If we're serving our customers, then everything else kind of works itself out. Uh, we're global, uh, so we're remote. You know, COVID, and then with COVID, uh, we're all remote anyway. But we have a big global team that works together um, across all time zones. So uh, the company started in Tel Aviv, uh, but we've expanded, and now we have teams in Tel Aviv. We have teams in Iceland. We have teams in the United States, um, India. Uh, we have. Uh, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Uh, Ukraine, uh, we also have teams out of. So we, we're distributed all around the world. Um, and it's we, we try not to, we don't necessarily pocket single things in areas, although sometimes that happens, but we have people working with each other on like products from all over the place. So we're a very diverse culture now. We're a very diverse work group. Um, you know, we're, you know, quote unquote, around the globe, around the clock. And, uh, and yeah, we're just, you know, we're customer obsessed as long as, you know, everything we do from product down to engineering, everybody's focused on how we're serving the customer. And, uh, when we're serving the customer, we're doing well and everybody's happy about what we're doing. So we just kind of keep that, you know, keep that moving and we keep expanding the team, right? Um, we're growing and we keep expanding to new areas. So it's always, it's always fun and interesting to add like another country, another another place on the map, finding talent wherever talent is. Uh, I've been a remote uh, fan for years. I've actually been remote, somewhat remote working for more than 15, 15 years now. And uh, I just really enjoy the fact of finding you know, great talent wherever talent is and then figuring out how to integrate them into the team and then watching magic happen. So um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's where we are today. It's just amazing how you can grow a company, um, nowadays with technology, you know, with, you know, zoom, how we were talking about at the beginning and, uh, the collaboration tools that we have today and the messaging platforms and the way that we can share. It's just amazing how you can grow a team all over the world. I think I'm amazed every day at how we get things done. Yeah. And it's so interesting too, as you were naming all the areas, like I've got relationships and each one of those, and I'm like, the cultures are so different. They are. I'm yeah. always a fan for some reason um, to stereotype. Uh, I like the uh, Israeli people because they are so direct. Like I've never met an Israeli that's not like incredibly direct and tells you like exactly what they're thinking or how they're feeling or, you know, they're just like, they put it out there. And for me, I, I am so relaxed around those people because you always know like what's going on with them. Uh, Tel Aviv is a great time. I recommend it to anybody who can go. Um, it is a wonderful city. And yes, uh, you ask a question, you get an answer. It's very refreshing. Uh, and uh, the food in Tel Aviv is amazing. So if you ever get to go to Tel Aviv, uh, I highly recommend it. 
And uh, there's a few excellent kebab places that you can go. Um, I'm actually missing. I used to go there about once a month before COVID, and now I don't get to go anymore. And so there's this place called Jasmino. And if you're Israeli and you're listening, I'm jealous. Like, uh, I, I need to get back. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. So tell me about that. Like, is Israel locked down? Is the like, who's, why can't you go over there? Is it like, you don't want to, or is it locked down? I'm curious about like, no, it's uh, locked. Um, I think things, you know, all the rules are a little crazy right now. So if you're an Israeli citizen, um, obviously, or you have dual citizenship or something, you can get in and out. If you have family in Israel, you can get in and out. Um, if you're not one of those, you have to be in a tour group. And what they do is they're keeping like the tour groups together. So if you're going to like Jerusalem or um, uh, like a birthright trip, like yeah, that, yeah, right. Like they'll keep you in a group and they'll keep that group kind of isolated. But if you're just going for work, you need like special permission. You got to go through all this stuff through the government. Um, once they open it up so I can fly in and fly out without the fear of being quarantined for two weeks, I have a, I have a wife and four kids at home. I don't need to end up being stuck in a hotel room for two weeks somewhere, um, you know, just in quarantine. So, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm all the things I need to be to travel, like vaccinated and all that stuff. So whenever it does open up again, you know, I'll get out there and I'll do it. I just need to make sure that I can get out and more importantly, get back. Uh, but right now they're not really letting in, um, I think it's particular countries. I think they're going to open it up for the U S soon. It's hard to keep track of all the countries and all the rules, but I expect you to be a foreign policy expert, by the way, (laughs) since the U S just opened up more travel for countries into the U S I think those countries are going to turn around now and allow travel back, (laughs) back the other way. Right. So, uh, I think it should be soon. I would be a little bit nervous. So like my, um, uh, my kids, they have, you know, little friends that they play with. So this, this one uh, couple is, uh, uh, originally from England's so like all their families over there. And it's been really difficult. Like they, for a year their the grandparents couldn't even come over and see them. And then they were able to like go yeah. over and see them, but had to quarantine at one point they went over there and then like the rules changed while they were over there. Right. So for me, when I'm talking about traveling yeah. internationally, it's like, I'm okay with the health. Cause I've got a great immune system. I'm okay with like that. But what I'm not okay with is being like stuck in a country that changes right. the rules. Like right when I <laughs> land, that would not be yep. fun. Yep. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's exactly where I'm at. I just want the confidence that if I go in and I have all the right paperwork, I can get in and I can get out and getting out is kind of the main part. Like, uh, we did an acquisition. You can look it up. We did an acquisition of data mechanics. I forgot to list this as a country. They'll, they'll kill me if they hear, but <laughs> Paris and France is also on our list now. So I was supposed to go into Paris, but, um, there was no, no one really knew if you could get out of Paris. They knew you could get in. But like getting out was a question mark. And so we did everything virtually. Uh, but I need to, uh, I need to get out there and see that team as well. I need to get out to Paris. So I have a lot of places on my list. I got, a, I got a big checklist that I'm, I'm keeping. And then maybe 2022 or something like that, I can actually get out and, uh, get out and start checking things off the list. I was at KubeCon last week. So I did, I did get on it, you know, within the US flight, which was, uh, it was neat. The conference was a little light attended in the expo hall and stuff, but it was really good to get out and just kind of communicate with people. Again, I got to meet a lot of people who I hadn't seen in like two years. Um, and of course we had masks on and everything else in the convention center. So abiding by the rules, but, uh, it was really <laughs> good to just see people again. It really was. It was, it was, it was so nice just to see people. Yeah. yeah, it's good to see people. It's almost like we're social animals and we need each other. It's weird. Right. Yeah, I know. Weird. <laughs> So let's, let's bring it back. I'm curious to know, like 
you typically, you know, you've got a couple people involved in a decision-making process. Someone who's going to buy spot. Right. But then you've got like the person that the people that are involved in the decision-making process. And then, uh, you know, typically the person that approves the budget or is leading it. And then you've got the users of it who are actually using your interfaces and things of that nature. Tell me a little bit about, um, who those people are that are actually using, like what role are the, the actual people that are in spot configuring it? Where do they work at your customers? Yep. For, so for Ocean and Elastic Group, it's the DevOps engineer. We make DevOps teams live easier. That's that's where we're focused. Uh, we sell to the DevOps engineer, and then we help the DevOps engineer sell up within their organization. So if they need approvals for the budget, or they need us to help us help them pitch it to their boss for whatever reason or whatever approvals, but we sell to the DevOps engineer. It's a bottom-up sale. Um, it's a very very technical product. Uh, that helps a specific group of individuals support their business at a much larger level than they're supporting it today, right? Uh, for eco, we sell into like the cloud director or our, your financial, uh, whoever's in charge of the financial purse strings of the cloud because they're the ones who are usually in charge of reserve commitments. Uh, so it's a little bit different sales cycle over there where we're selling more into management and management kind of already has the decision-making power. Uh, so yeah, so we got two sales motion. We kind of have that management with eco and then we have the bottom-up sale uh, directly to the DevOps engineer with Ocean and Elastic Group. All right, let's say I've got a setup. Maybe I'm getting a couple million people coming to my site a day. Uptime, super important. And I would love to save money, but like, uh, I feel like a salesman right now, but I'm, I'm running like a hypothetical situation. <laughs> right, right. Right. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I want to do it. I think it'd be great to save money, but I got to be honest with you. Like the whole trust factor is, is huge. Yep. Like you guys are going to be automating my entire infrastructure. You could take me down. You could like, it could be chaos. How do you, how do you get over that hump with clients? Yeah, in the beginning, it was harder. Now that we have a lot of referenceable customers, so it's a little bit easier. Like when we can reference Ticketmaster and like when you go buy tickets, like Ocean's behind that somewhere, right? And we can actually tell people, you know, there's these big customers out there that you can, that will get on stage with us and tell us how well the platform works at scale. In the beginning, it was definitely, let's get into a dev environment. Let's show you how we work in your dev environment, your staging environment. Let's do a smaller application in production and then eventually grow. So we're perfectly fine with stepping in and taking over you know, a smaller uh, section of your cloud. In fact, sometimes your dev environments, depending on what you're programming and what you're doing, some of these dev environments can cost a ton of money in the cloud. So let's okay. get into the dev environment first. Let's get into the staging environment. When you become comfortable there, let's go right to production. Now, I will say because of, you know, we got five years behind us and we have a lot of great case studies and a lot of great use cases, uh, we can get into production environments a lot faster today uh, based on our references and based on, you know, who we can bring to the table to kind of ease those concerns. Um, you know, we we stand by our SLA. We have excellent support. If you reach out, there's a chat button on our website. If you hit that chat button in 30 seconds, someone's going to respond to you, an actual human will respond to you instantly and you'll start getting help on whatever it is. So if anything in the platform even seems just a tad off to you or something in your group or configuration or anything like that, you are always 30 seconds away from getting help from someone who can actually help you. Um, and that's a big, big part to helping customers grow on our platform is having this excellent 
uh, technical support team and an excellent knock team that can sit there and monitor everything. And I mean, every second of every day and respond instantaneously to customers coming through the platform. Uh, that also helps ease concerns. Uh, and it also helps help customers even more with just spot. If you have a question about anything, we answer literally any question on that chat button. You can ask us about your cloud setup. You can ask us about another service that doesn't even run through us. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll work with you on the answer and get it configured. Um, so a power of those things is now that we have the years behind us, those references, the power of our technical support, the proof of what our platform's been able to do over five years, um, all of that goes into helping you know, run in production. And then if you're still not there, let's start small. We'll start small and grow. I guarantee we'll grow once, once you start using it. I like that uh, you have people all over the world because that means you've got talent everywhere that can, you know, you don't want to wait for advanced support to come online, right? You, you have people <laughs> everywhere. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Every now and then, like there's a team somewhere, but we make our, again, part of being customer success based is always having someone available. So someone, if something needs to get escalated at a certain time, there's always someone whose job it is to make sure that that gets answered. Uh, and we're very, very stringent about that. We always make sure that the customer will get an answer in the right amount of time. Uh, so really, no matter where that person is in the world, and we're uh, we're we're bigger now, so we're not single threaded in most places. Like multiple people can answer those questions, uh, and we have a really really good policy in place to make sure those questions get answered by the right person. That's exciting. Are you loving what you do, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this has been a really really great run, especially you know under spot starting with a team that was. I don't know, over 20, not even 20 people at a time and now growing to a team with the most recent announcement of, you know, um, the acquisition of data mechanics and now with the intent to acquire Cloud Checker, you know, it looks like we're going to be, you know, more than 300 people uh, very soon. So being on that journey and not only being on that journey, but um, having a product that customers just love to use, that's the most exciting part, right? Like, I don't say this as a sales pitch. I really don't. Customers come on and they start using a small amount of your product. And then all of a sudden they're using a huge amount of your product. And you watch those co cohorts grow quarter after quarter. And you see people investing in you as much as you're investing in them. And you become partners with these, with these companies over the years. And um, I just think it's a really exciting product. And it's, it's not something that, you know, we, you know, we built this really technical thing and then we got a sales team to sell it. And, you know, I've been in that in like en other enterprises in the past where it's like you built a product and then sales sells it. And there's always this tension between, you know, sales and engineering on what's going to be built next and things like that. We, you know, we don't have that here. We don't have that yet here. Everyone still feels like we're just running fast and building things that customers want. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun to be there, right? It's a lot of fun that sales is still very close to engineering and marketing and everybody's still working together. And we have these sessions where, you know, a customer comes in and asks us something and we realize that there's like a whole new feature or a whole new thing that we can build and everyone just kind of bands together and does it. So it's still a very exciting place to work for me. And I really, really enjoy every time these teams grow uh, to see how they grow and to see how people have grown with the company to see the people that we started with 20 people growing into managers and managers and managers, like you were talking about before, 
right? You, you, you start with managing and then you become a manager of managers and like that career progression and watching people on that per- career progression as well. You kind of get a little bit of everything here. And uh, it has been really exciting. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy to be working with the people that we're working with. I think we have a great team. It's spot.io forward slash careers. One of the things you do that I love, I recommend to people all the time is putting your company values on your like about page or your careers page because they really say, I think the stigma of them being like corporate things that are just sent down has kind of been eroded a little bit. I think now people are trusting that I can go look at these values these people hold and they really do hold these values, which I like. Yeah, and we we adhere to them too, right? Like like customer obsession, getting things done, right? Like these are things that I talk about from a management perspective, and these are things that uh, we build out in our interview process. And uh, these are th- not just words on the screen, but uh, things that we hold true, you know, day to day. Now we don't necessarily put them up on the on the whiteboard behind us or on the virtual screen behind us every day, but they are things that we talk about. And there are things like when we have a conflict, we try and resolve it with the value, right? Like what is the value of spot? Were we being customer success? Were we trying to get things done? Were we being as professional as we think that we should be, right? We, If you relate it to that and you have a North Star of why you're doing something, um, it's a lot easier to make a decision at the end of the day because I can point to a thing and go, you know, we're doing this because of this, right? Um, and so it makes it very clear to the organization of what we're doing and why we're doing it. You said something earlier called data gravity, and I'd never heard that before. Can you explain that to me? Ah, yeah. Data gravity is one of the reasons why multi-cloud is still kind of a hard thing, right? And so where's your data and how does that data move, right? So if you move data from AWS to Google or vice versa from Google to AWS, that costs money, right? So there's a, it's always, you can always put data into a cloud. That's not the problem. It's getting data back out of the cloud. And if you operate within a cloud, it's not a big deal. So if your application needs to churn on a bunch of data and it's within a cloud, you're really not paying for it. But once the egress cost happens and you start moving data between clouds, you start paying a lot of money for that data just moving around the internet, right? So data gravity is where is your data? Does the application need that data to operate? And then how much does it cost? And the further away from that data that you get. So it's data gravity because the closer you are to the data, the more efficient and the lower cost the application runs at. But the further away you get from it, the more expensive and more latent it is, right? So that makes sense. A, a lot of times, if you have a lot of data in one cloud, you're operating in that cloud for that application. And then you might have a certain subset of that data in another cloud, or maybe you have a completely different data set in another cloud, and you run that application in that cloud. Um, now there are applications that aren't data centric, kind of run everywhere. That's are applications that run on CDNs and distribution networks and things like that. A little bit different architecture and what you're doing there. Uh, but think about it. If you have a database and that database, let's take a MySQL database and you have that MySQL database planted in one of the clouds. If you want to replicate that database, you got to pay the egress cost to get it out to the other cloud. Is that as efficient as just using another region in the cloud provider that you're already in? These are the these these are the questions you have to answer for yourself. I love it. Before we, I know we're close on time here, right? Um, so I I think we have about ten minutes left, but I want to get some leadership insight. You you said you're a dad. You've got a family. You've done very well in your career. 
like what sort of, um, let's say you've got some new fathers out there uh, that are listening <laughs> to this. What, well, what sort of insider sage wisdom do you have for them? <laughs> All right. Not to sound too, I ask my kid, I, I, one thing I do is I tell my kids that they're required to learn one thing every day. And of course you always learn things, but at the dinner table, I ask them, what's the one thing you learned today? Right. And I just want them to articulate that they learned something or they went out of their way to learn something. Um, one of the most important things that I understood um, was that you had to, I had to learn how to learn when I was younger, uh, when I was very opinionated, when I was much younger, but then I eventually, you know, realized that it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. You're always going to have to learn how to do something you don't want to do. Right. That's just part of life. So just the constant learning and like driving home to your kids, that learning is part of life. And every day you should learn something, no matter how old you are or where you are. That's, that's what I try and drive home with that statement. So I ask my kids all the time, like, what's one thing you learned today? I don't even care if it's about school. They don't have to tell me that it was math or something else. I accept from my, from my oldest son that, you know, it was, I don't, I can't even, some Nintendo Switch game that he was able to find some demon or zombie <laughs> or something and figure out, you know, where it was unlocked. But if he can bring me through it and he can bring me through like what he learned at that point in time and it's different, you know, he, he picks something up that he didn't know before. That's, that's fine. So that's my, that's my sage, my old man advice. That's what my four kids have to hear from me on a daily basis. So, um, they have to, they have to be able to answer what they learned any given day. I just have one more question for you because we always like to ask this question. It helps our audience. We'll put it in newsletters and things like that. But, um, if you were to give advice to a like technical leader who wants to take on some more responsibility, right? They're listening to this show so they can listen to people like you who've gone very far in their career and, and they're ready to take that next step. What sort of insight or advice do you have for them? That's tough. I think the toughest thing to become a technical leader is to start becoming more hands off. That was the toughest thing for me is to realize that you set direction, but not necessarily implementation. Uh, you need to be some implementation you want to get involved in, but you have to start. If you want to be a leader, you need to start setting the direction of where you want the team to go and not how the team needs to get there and allow them to do that. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest things to learn as you go higher up the ladder, so to speak, um, and realize maybe your way is not necessarily the best way. There are more ways to get it done. Um, but pick and choose your battles. Every now and then you need to reach down and say, no, we're going to do it this way. But pick, don't be that person all the time is what I'm saying. Like, let the team decide and like come in for the things that you truly believe matter and then put your hand down on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, the hardest thing for me becoming the leader of where I am now is uh, I'm not a good engineer anymore. I, I don't code well anymore. I don't, I, I don't sit down in Vim. <laughs> which is my day. Uh, I don't sit down in visual studio code. I'm just, I'm not there, but I'm a soundboard for everybody else who is, and I can still add a lot of value there. And that's what I do. Yeah. And some of the principles transcend the the language that you'll remember forever. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. The principles transcend like language is an implementation tool and don't get me wrong. You need to be a master at your craft if that's what you're doing every day. Uh, but as you move up the ladder in most, most scenarios, you need to become more of a directional technology leader and not an implementation leader. Um, so that's a tough one. That's a tough it's hard. Dude, it was the hardest reading. for me. 
because yeah. I was so, I, I was trained to like, do, 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 you know, grab, grab the yeah. ticket, do it, do it, get it done, ship it, you know, get it out the door. And then to explain something was really inefficient when I could just do it myself faster. And then you realize yeah. if you can get five people to like go in a direction, they can accomplish yeah. more in a day than you can in a week, you know, and it's exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then the, that's when you start getting the economies of scale. And then you sort of like build trust with yourself to let go a little bit more. And then you realize like how much work it is to actually do the 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 strategy and, and bringing people together to achieve a goal. And you're like, wow, that's like a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you also need to be real honest with yourself if that's something you want to do. I hate saying one thing that, that we try and do at Spot is not always have the next progression level be management. Um, there are some people who are very good and they want to be individual contributors. And I think we in an industry, we need to embrace that more. Not everyone has to be a manager. You don't have to be a manager to always get to the next step. I think there's really, really great individual contributor jobs, whether it's an architect or whether it's an influencer or whether it's a mentor. And you can have people still graduate to larger and larger uh, responsibilities within an organization without managing. I think we miss that sometimes. And I think that's very important to still have in an organization. I fully agree. It's partly due to our culture too. Like aside from just the technology industry, it's a bonus to go into management. Like that's like right. the the theme yep. and just the atmosphere is that's what that's the next step. So, you know, to explain to your parents who aren't engineers that I'm going to potentially even make more money staying on this individual contributor path. And I'm going to write books and be an expert in this, you know, maybe Kubernetes or Python or whatever it is and speak at conferences around the world. Like to explain that is kind of a little bit difficult because um, they want to see you, you know, make progression in their sense of what progression is versus what's reality for, for your role. I'll say management I, I, it is a big, broad statement, but management is always there. Once you take your fingers away from the keyboard, it's hard to get back. Um, I was an IC for more than a, over a decade to start my career, more than a decade to start my career. Um, and then as you start getting there, your fingers start getting slower and slower, you know, away as you manage people and you manage business. And, you know, uh, the CTO role that I do today is more about how do we interface technology with sales and marketing and set direction and then put the right leaders in place and things like that. And it's, it's not, it's not about that code anymore. So you got to be really comfortable with that because I, I truly believe you go a long way with keeping your fingers on the keyboard, so to speak, and then deciding that you want to take that next step. Because once you take that next step, it's really hard to go back the other way. I think it's, I think it's super hard to go back. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear, discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.